I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that makes you fall in love with reading while flipping the script with a musical twist on your favorite books. I invite guests to pair a book with a song or an album that sparks the same emotional connection. Today's episode is in partnership with Kasarai Public Press to celebrate the launch of the 10th anniversary edition of Independence by the highly esteemed author Sarah Ladipal Maninko. The episode was recorded live at Foyle's flagship bookshop in Charing Cross, London. Sarah Ladipal Maninko's love of music is evident in the way she weaves classic and contemporary musical works throughout the novel Independence. An extended playlist of the songs featured in this episode, including a specially curated soundtrack to the novel, is available in the show notes. Today's episode is particularly poignant as it features an excerpt from the speech in acceptance of the 1993 Nobel Prize in Literature by the recently departed Toni Morrison. A link to the speech is available in the show note. While we mourn the loss of a cultural behemoth who has caused seismic shift in the literary and cultural landscape, we are extremely grateful for her generosity of spirit in the body of work she leaves behind. Rest in power, Miss Morrison. Tweet your thoughts on this episode using the hashtag Books and Rhymes. Follow Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to the mailing list at booksandrhymes.com. I can't hear you. How are we feeling today? <laughs> I like it. Very receptive audience. So as um, Emma explained, my name is Sarah Ozo-Irabo and I am the host of Books and Rhymes, the podcast that flips the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. Ooh. <laughs> and I can hear you thinking, what is this? Well, basically, I invite exciting people and very interesting authors like the wonderful Sarah Lodipo Maninka, who we have here today. Amazing. So I invite wonderful authors to come onto the podcast. I ask them to pick books from certain categories and pair each book with a song or an album that sparks the same emotional connection. And so you're getting books, you're getting music, and the more exciting thing, we play the music in the live show. Woo! <laughs> so when you were coming in, you heard some songs playing, yes? Yeah. Did you enjoy the music? Yeah. Could we applaud our wonderful curator? <laughs> The songs you heard earlier were curated by the wonderful Zola Dvomaninka, which will be available once the podcast goes live. So, shameless plug, go to booksandrhymes.com, join the mailing list, Twitter, at Books and Rhymes, Instagram, at Books and Hey, I like you people. Today, we're here to celebrate the launch of this wonderful wonderful, wonderful book, Independence by Sarah Ladipo Maninka. And it's not just a launch, it is a celebration of his 10th anniversary. I have a funny story to tell. I was first introduced to Independence on a course, and the wonderful lecturer recommended he, on the curriculum, Independence was on there. I read the book, and then in 2016, I went to Africa Rights Festival, and in the festival, there was a panel, which was Books That Inspire. So panelists were invited to pick books that inspire them, and talk about it to the audience just like you are today. So everyone picked pick their book. They were talking about the book like, yes, this is the book that inspired me. Sarah picked a book and she paired each book with a song or an album. And she had a soundtrack to the book. And I was like, this is amazing. I didn't realize that I stole her idea. I didn't know it was subconscious dealing <laughs> of her idea. So you can rename the podcast later in my name. <laughs> when it's, you know, massive. <laughs> And thank you so much for just inspiring my presence here today. So could we please once more just... 
Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, today we are here to talk about independence. And you created, you create curated playlists to go with it. I asked you to pick a song that goes with a novel. You gave me, you gave me a playlist for each decade that the novel covers. So 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then you went beyond and gave me a playlist for the future progenies in the book. For today, the song that we're going to play that encapsulates the spirit of independence is Marketplace by Hugh Masekela from the Hope album. And this song is important because this was the song that the wonderful Soledad Bamayinka was listening whilst writing the book. this particular song? Well, first of all, I want to start off by saying thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on your show. <laughs> um, you need to check out her show. Um, so, independence. When I, ha I first have to say that when Sarah said she wanted me on her, her show, I was very excited. And now that I've been writing for a while, I get quite a lot of questions. Well, not quite a lot, but sometimes questions from people asking me about books and you know, what inspired me to write certain things, how I write, etc. And this is the first time in several years that I got these questions that I was so excited to respond to because it was just so different and I love music. And music is often in my mind as I'm writing. Um, now, the challenge with talking about music in this novel, Independence, is that there's so much. So I had to narrow, narrow my choices down. Um, but music, so there's, there's almost like a built-in soundtrack to the novel. So for those of you who don't know anything about the novel, it starts in the early 60s and it spans a couple of decades, uh, comes up into the 1990s, and it, at its core, it's a love story uh, between Tayo and Vanessa. Tayo from Nigeria and Vanessa from England. And um, so there's music of the time that's in the book, referenced in the book, and then there's also music that my characters love. So we start in the 1960s, and there's a fair bit of jazz, so Tayo in particular loves jazz. Um, so everything from, um, you know, uh, Billie Holiday to Duke Ellington, um, we have Nina Simone, and then we have Vanessa, who is my uh, bit of a rebel character, um, always joining the, you know, in protests and very, feels very strongly about uh, various social issues. And she uh, loves Bob Dylan and the Beatles. So, and then we come into the 1970s, we have Afrobeat, we have Fela. Um, so listening to Hugh Masekela as well, you know, they, Fela and Hugh Masekela did things together. Hugh Masekela has recently passed, so it's just nice to hear that song as well. Um, and then in the 80s, we've got R&B, we've got soul, mm -hmm. um, and it goes on and on. So your question was, one song or an album? Yes. <laughs> which is impossible. So, um, <laughs> so I think I chose Nina Simone for the yes. 1960s. I chose a Fela song for the 70s and Soul to Soul, because that was really big. Late 80s in England, gotta have that. Keep on moving. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then for the new century, you had Janelle Monet, Amy Winehouse, yeah. and all of those. Um, so the playlist bangs. Um, more specifically, um, why, because we've listened to Hugh Masekela, why is Hugh Masekela the song? And also you said that Hugh Masekela was the artist we were listening to while writing the book. Um, yes, yeah, so South African, you know, um, musician, a multinational Nigerian <laughs> writer. How do those connect in this story? Well, I think Hugh Masekela, there are a number of things. First of all, he's an amazing storyteller. So you see, you get this through his music. And if any of you have seen him live or seen recordings of him, he's just, you know, he'll tell stories and he's jovial and he jokes 
and I had the pleasure of seeing him a couple of times in San Francisco and, and meeting him briefly. Um, independence is Pan-African, and I feel that someone like Huma Sakela, you know, he, he collaborated with Fela, he was a great ad admirer of Fela. Um, he's traveled a lot, he spent time in the United States, so, um, you know, it, uh, Huma Sakela speaks to that aspect. Um, and then I was particularly, as I was writing Independence, I was listening to Huma Sakela's album, Hope. So I love the word hope. As a writer, an artist, you hope you will finish. <laughs> you hope the book will sell. Um, but that album has a lot of uh, Huma Sakela songs that I love. So Stimela, um, the you know song that speaks to apartheid and the you know many men who went and worked in the mines and that tells a story. Um, it's got the great song Mandela, um, bring back Nelson uh, Mandela. If I were not so jet lagged, I'd start trying to sing a little bit. Um, and then it's got um, Marketplace, which is one of the songs that I highlighted. And Marketplace, you know, unfortunately, I, I was smiling as we were listening to the song because I'm like you've really learned from Fela because your intro is so long that we didn't even get to the lyrics. All we heard was that introduction that was long. I see her floating lazily Through the market like a butterfly Oh yeah I won't forget the day the sun came shining in If you go back and listen to the whole song, it basically tells a story of, um, you know, someone, Hugh, let's say, in a marketplace. He sees this woman, and she's amazing. She lights up everything. Um, and, you know, he's just taken by her, and he offers to carry her, you know, what, her vegetables. And then there's a nighttime of ecstasy. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a wonderful story. And he, you, you can just, you can feel him, hear him telling a story. So when I read um, Independence for this event, I couldn't help just seeing fractures throughout the books. So fractured relationships, um, fractured families, fractured country, fractured history. And by fractures, I mean that, you know, things are seemingly going well and something happens, there's a break. I'm curious to know, why did you feel the need to write about fractures? Or is it the first, I don't know, what do you think of this idea about fractures being like a recurring theme in the novel? Well, I think, you know, in some senses, everyone is familiar with this basic story. You have two people falling in love, and it's complicated. Um, so opposition from family, societal opposition, you know, in some sense, a Romeo and Juliet story, except that it's not a Romeo and Juliet story. It's a story of a West African a man who comes from Nigeria who meets a British woman whose father is a, was an ex-colonial officer. Um, so they come from different worlds. There's opposition. Um, and, um, you know, the, it's, it's their love story at the heart of it, but you want to know what will happen. Mm. And, you know, I, I wrote this novel because I wasn't finding love stories set uh, with, with the main character who was Nigerian, African, at the time that I was writing this, and I, I was longing to read um, a really good love story. Um, but it's, it's not easy sailing, as it were. So, um, but then, you know, also, I said it at the time that I did because I was interested in that time shortly after independence when there was great optimism. You know, when you go back and you read some of the earlier literature and look at, you know, newspapers, people were saying things like, you know, Nigeria will actually, will show the world how to do things. And it's, you know, there was just great optimism. Things were not going to fall apart. Um, and, you know, so there, there's, so I guess I'm saying two things. There's a love story with its fractures, but then there's also the larger geopolitical um, 
setting that's fractured. And, and you know, in the 1960s, I chose the 1960s as well, it has its highs and its lows. Um, civil rights era, feminism, so many things going on. In fact, and I was thinking about this today, that period, the 1960s, 60 years ago, has a very interesting kind of resonance with what's happening right now. So, um, you know, I live in America and we're seeing abortion laws being rolled back. Um, we're seeing, you know, civil rights continues, uh, so, you know, civil rights issues and so forth. So, anyway, I could keep talking, but. Yeah. I'm curious to know about the research process that went into the writing of this novel. So the book was first published in 2008, and it's now republished in 2019, but you're starting from the very past in the 60s, and you carried it all the way onto what I, the time was not clear, but I assume is a new millennia. Talk us through the research process, your inspiration for that, so I know you've mentioned it, but what was the click that was like, oh, Nigeria, early independence, and then that process of researching and getting the stories and the accuracy and weaving it into this fictional narrative. So 1960s, again, it was just such an interesting period, so I wanted to start there. Um, and the research was incredible. I mean, I could almost not have written this book because the research was so interesting. So I did a lot of research. I, I didn't go to Oxford. My people in my family went to Oxford but I read um, all the student papers, for example, for the couple of years that my student, uh, that my main characters were at Oxford together. So I read them through to see what people were talking about, what were the debates uh, at the time. Um, I read West African, which was, I think it was a, week, was it a weekly um, newspaper journal. Um, and, you know, I had, and I also did extensive uh, interviews with people uh, who had gone to Oxford in the 1960s and just generally people from that era. And there were so many interesting stories actually that just never made it into the book. I couldn't quite squeeze them in. One of them was that I met, I spoke to a student who was at Oxford in the 60s and I think he came from East Africa. And at the time that I was speaking to him, he was living in Japan. And he was one of the people that was very instrumental in bringing Malcolm X to come and speak at the Oxford Union. And, as, and so that was kind of interesting as well to find that out. But then I heard, then he told me that he'd had this long correspondence with Malcolm X via postcard. And I mean, so, so it was just like discovering like, that's amazing history. And then I sort of, you know, I wanted to get the postcards. and I wanted to write a whole new book about, you know, the correspondence that Malcolm X had had with, you know. So, so the, the research was enjoyable, um, and there was a lot of it. <laughs> and I want to say one more thing. I meant to say, going back to fractures, um, the reason why this book has sold an extraordinary amount is first and foremost because of Cassava Public Press, who are just the bomb. They're <laughs> so, so yeah, big up to them and check out all their works. Um, but because it sold so many books and because many students read it, girl, I heard all about the fractures in this book <laughs> from students writing to say, why did you do this? And no, you can't do this. And what is the ending? And you know, so I, yeah, I had hundreds, thousands of uh, messages <laughs> complaining and telling me that I shouldn't have written in a certain way. And, you know. <laughs> When you were speaking about histories, um, there was a bit in the book that stood out to me. You know, Tayo is in Nigeria, and then he travels um, to Lagos, I believe, but he travels to go and see his mother. And then he was told that there was a man who, um, who served, was the servant of Lugard. So Nigerian's history, Lugard is the colonial administrator who named Nigeria's Nigeria. He was a person who was, yeah, he was. Or was it his wife? Who, I can't his remember. Girlfriend, like his girlfriend, like, yeah, it was a girl. Which rumor one? has it that it was a concubine? So now, I said, oh, Niger, Niger area sounds quite interesting. And then, they, you know, blended together and called it Nigeria. Really? <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I, I found it quite interesting because going, 
just, there are so many ways in which you wove reality into this novel. The other thing I did was I spent a lot of time reading um, diaries of colonial officers and Lord Lugard, Lord Lugard um, his diaries, I think it was his diaries. So yeah, that's probably me slipping in. I've read three books about this guy. <laughs> Let's get some remembrance of him. You know, um, yeah, I found that quite interesting. Now, going back to the music. Yeah, music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every other page, and I'm not exaggerating, I mean, there is just someone listening to music, someone referencing music, a record player, someone, a record player falling, or, you know, vinyl, fall, there is just something in the scene about music. And I, I was listening to your playlists whilst rereading the book, and... There was a bit I got into in the book, and um, Bob Marley's Waiting in Vain thing was playing in the background. I don't want no waiting vain for your love. I don't want no waiting vain for your love. And Vanessa, they've gone to a wedding and they're making their way back on the train, home from the wedding on the train. Um, and they're having an argument and the argument is quite emotional. And you could tell that there is a miscommunication going on. One is waiting for the other. One expects the other to do something that the other is not doing. And whilst I'm reading this, I just said, I don't wanna wait in vain for your love. Oh, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> my God. And then when the novel, and when I finished reading the novel, a song, so the playlist had expired and a song came on, and the song was Re-Infiltrator by Falana. it is about someone infiltrating your mind but re-infiltrating your love and it was just like oh my god just so serendipitous I mean ah. <laughs> no so, yes yeah, so yeah. do you mind just taking us through your mind with regards to music I'm, I, I just I, I want to go into your mind about writing because I suspect that writing itself is quite an arduous task you know putting the characters together and then thinking of music and then weaving, figuring out which music goes into which particular scene, does the music fit into the scene, am I overthinking it, or is that how it worked? What's, like, talk us through, it's just such a wonderfully musical book with a great fabric that just holds everything together. Just keep going. <laughs> just... <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I love that, you know, you picked up on that song by Falana, who is in the audience. Wait, where is so. she? <laughs> She's ah, a great, hey. I'm just like, this is also part of me like, hey. sorry, I've outed you. So I can't believe that Falana is actually here. So she's an amazing, amazing, I, mean, I know many of you know her work. Um, and someone whose music that I've just become acquainted with in the last couple of years. And um, you know, we'll maybe talk about one of the songs later, but I think it's awesome that you thought about that particular song, which I wasn't thinking of at the time that I was writing because the Alpha album wasn't out by then. Um, but I think, um, you know, I, I, songs speak to me. They speak to many writers. Um, great Margaret Busby is in the audience and she's got a wonderful, yeah, big clap. <laughs> New Daughters of Africa. Um, she has the best acknowledgement page. She, it's, it's, it's a two-page acknowledgement. And the first page is acknowledging people. And the second page begins 
by acknowledging musicians. So she begins with Aretha, and she goes on and on and on for a whole page, and then she starts all over again. ABBA. And it, it's just, <laughs> like, it's just, it's amazing. So, you know, music, and I think different art, different art forms speak to all of us. And I think, you know, music is very evocative to all of us in different ways. We hear a song, it takes us back to such and such a time. Um, and I sort of jokingly talked about Huma Sakela's hope and giving me hope. But for me, I know as a writer, when I'm struggling, I'll go and turn some music on. Mm. Or when I'm celebrating. Um, so actually one person that I didn't mention um, is uh, Tuku. Um, Oliver Mutukutsi, and so he, his song, I always call it 1994, but it's, I think it's, hear me Lord, it's like a prayer. Hear me Lord, hear me I pray. Hear me, Lord, and like I get stuck in the, the writing, and yeah. So, um, but I, I think the other thing is also as I'm trying to think about my characters, I'm trying to think of music that really speaks to them. So, um, the Beatles. I'm sorry to say, for I know there are many people that it really does it for you, but never really spoke to me. Um, mostly, um, but I, you know, Bob Dylan, yeah, he's in. I mean, he's a Nobel laureate now. Um, but anyway, these were these were in. You know, I wasn't as crazy about them as my characters are. So I really tried to get into my characters' heads. And a lot of the, a lot of the music in here I love as well. Mm -hmm. But some of it, it really is my character's choice. Um, so independence is a novel about migration. So internal and external migration. By external migration, I mean that um, the novel, the characters travel through different countries. So you have, they travel to Senegal, to, well, they're in Nigeria, but they're also in Britain as well, and they travel to France as well. And this is not dissimilar from your experience, from your lived experience, because you have lived, if I remember correctly, you've lived in Kenya, you've lived in Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Britain, America, and France. Why did I say France like that? And France. <laughs> <laughs> and you've lived in France. And I asked you, in keeping with the spirit of books and rhymes, I asked you to pick a book that captured the experiences of an African woman in the USA paired with a song or an album of your choice. So you picked We Need New Names by No Violet Bulawayo. And um, I asked you, and you picked a book. I, do you know what? I, I enjoy speaking to writers, because I, 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 writers are, rebel, are just rule breakers just like me. I asked for a book and a song. You gave me a book, a song, and a film. <laughs> yeah. Talk about being creative. The film, which I highly, highly recommend. Sarah Ladipomanyika recommends it, but I endorse it. It is Mother of George. <gasps> Lush. The song that you paired it with is, this song is Start Again by Falana from her album, Things Fall Together. Listen to the playlist when it's out. Why this song? Why is this the song that captures the migrant experience? Well, I think when I first, I first heard um, Falana in Nigeria in 2016, and I was just blown away by her voice. It's like this cross between Nina Simone, Lauren Hill, a little fella, 
and she, um, just the performance, the singing, the lyrics, the way that she thinks about her songs. Um, and I think if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, she's lived in Cuba, the States, West Africa, so there's this, this amazing mix of different cultures that her music is infused with these influences. Um, and so it inspired me, just the sound of her music, uh, but also the lyrics and hearing about the um, stories behind the songs. And things fall together. You know, there is that sort of nod to things falling apart. Um, <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I'm always intrigued by song titles as well. And, then, and then this particular song, you know, speaking to the, the migrant experience, it's a very kind of hopeful song, you know things can go badly and so forth, but you know, we can always start again. Yes, and why We Need New Names and Mother of George? Um, so, Mother of George, like you said, it's such a lush uh, experience cinematographically, and it's a story that's set, it's a story of a, a West African couple that's set in um, New it's an, an immigrant story, a story of struggle in the marriage. Um, I won't spoil the story if you don't know it. Um, yeah, and it's just, it, you know, it's almost, it's like a Merchant Ivory film um, done, produced, directed by a Nigerian. What is it about We Need New Names that resonated with you and how does that connect to independence? So we need, we need new names by No Violet Bulawayo. Um, you know, I think I love music when I'm thinking about writing because for me, I'm happy with my writing if I feel that my writing has begun to sing. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I'm always kind of waiting for my writing to start singing mm. in my own head. And No Violet's book, when I picked it up and started reading, straight away there's this voice that sings, a very, very strong voice of her main character, Darling. And um, so I picked, I, pick, I picked this book partly because this is a book that sings to me. Um, and then, you know, you're asking about the migrant experience. And um, there's a particular chapter that I love. It's called Angel. And it describes the main character, um, Darling, uh, in the States with her aunt. And she's listening to her aunt in the next room um, in the, Please forgive me if I get some of the details wrong, but anyway, in the spirit of telling stories and maybe exaggerating a little bit. But the aunt is nearby, and the aunt is on the phone. So the aunt is from Zimbabwe, and darling is Zimbabwean. And the aunt is on the phone ordering a Victoria's Secrets push-up bra. And she's trying to tell the person on the end of the phone what bra she wants. And she's saying, I want the um, angle bra. And the, the, her, 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 the main character, Darling, is listening and wishing that she could actually pronounce it because she can tell that the person on the other end of the phone doesn't know what, this, what her aunt is saying, Aunt Faustalina. And so this conversation goes on and on, and I want Anglebar. And the person's like, I don't really don't want, know, know what you're talking about. Can you spell it? And so she says, A. And the person on the end of the phone says, oh, A, A is an apple. And the aunt says, no, A as in anus, and N as in no, and G as in God. You know, so she was trying to say angel, the angel, you know, and so, I mean, it's just like these, you know, experiences of being in a different culture, of mispronouncing things, and just, I mean, so I guess what I'm also saying is that No Violet has this great sense of humor, and that comes across in her writing. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm going to ask you to read an excerpt mm. from Independence. Uh, okay, so I'm re I'll read a little section that relates to music, and it's from Chapter 9. Um, this is my two characters are in Oxford. And um, they're just beginning to court, date. What do, what do you millennials say? Chirpsing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I'm going to read the beginning when they're in, in, in Tyre's room. On Monday, they shared walnut cake at the Kadena. Tuesday, they ate chicken curry at the Taj Mahal restaurant. Wednesday, they drank coffee in her room, and Thursday, they attended St. Anthony's weekly seminar on African theater. They considered going to the Moulin Rouge on Friday to see Zimmerman's High Noon, but decided instead to stay in Tayo's room and listen to jazz. Vanessa loved the smell of his room, a comforting mix of Old Spice, Brill Cream, and Nigerian food. Occasionally, when they were not together, she would catch the scent on Tayo's letters or on clothing he had touched. His room was on the first floor, large and sparsely furnished. In it was a bed with three neatly folded blankets, two green and one cream, and at the far end of the room, a fireplace boarded over and replaced with a coin-operated heater. The heater was always on when Vanessa visited, and she suspected he rarely turned it off. Niger. <laughs> he had told her that in his first week at Oxford, he'd nearly set himself on fire by sitting too close to it. So you see, this is obviously why I'm shivering. <laughs> the only other items of furniture were his old oak desk by the window, the sofa where she now sat, a wardrobe and a coffee table. On the floor were his football boots and propped up against the bit of wall between the windowsill and desk was the room's only decoration, two color postcards of ocean liners. Today, she, she brought him daffodils to brighten the room. Women can bring men flowers too, you know, she smiled, sensing as his, at his hesitation as she arranged them in an empty milk bottle. Already, the buds were opening and adding a bright splash of buttery yellow to his room. She placed them next to the neat stack of books and papers and then picked up the one that was marked, a handbook for students from overseas. She studied what he'd underlined and smiled as she read aloud from the section on habits and customs. It says here that when two people meet they wish, and they wish to save themselves from the embarrassment of silence, they usually talk about the weather. Did we talk about the weather when we first met? And so they talk a little bit, and then I'm just <laughs> hopping over to this paragraph. She watched as he twirled the disc on his index finger and blew imaginary dust from both sides before pl placing it on the record player. Little things like this, his gestures and the way he moved, had the strangest, most thrilling effect on her. And there were other things, too, that she would normally never notice and admire, but with him, it was different. His tidiness, for example, the way he organized his jazz LPs in one pile and West African high life in another, all stored away at the bottom of his wardrobe. Initially, it had been his gentleness and a sense that he was genuine that had attracted her. And of course, there'd always been his looks. But now there were these conversations, the things he was teaching her, the way he listened. She loved his attentiveness and the way he made her laugh. There he was, happily singing along with Louis Armstrong. And it didn't matter if he didn't like Bob Dylan or the Beatles. He marched in exaggerated steps, still singing, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when, when the saints go marching in.
Thank you so much for that wonderful reading. Yes, I think that reading perfectly matched our previous discussion about migrating and transitioning through spaces. And speaking of migrating and tra transitioning through different spaces, I'm really jealous of you. And I'll explain why, honestly, and I'll explain why I'm jealous of you. In 2017, you, um, had, you had a meeting with Toni Morrison, which was then, yeah. <sighs> Not only a meeting, a private meeting at Toni Morrison's house. <laughs> Not only a private meeting, it was an interview. <laughs> and we nearly had dinner. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so you had a meeting with Tony Morrison. You, oh my gosh, you chilled and you, oh my gosh. It's available to read online, by the way, so please be jealous. Let us be jealous together. The essay is, was published in Granta, and it was titled Interview with Tony Morrison. So, yeah, there's an inter the interview is published with Granta, and then Transition published on Meeting Tony Morrison, which is the essay that Can I wrote imagine? about meeting. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> interview, meeting, essay. Wow. And then... In 2019, you met Mrs. Michelle Obama. Thank you, thank you. And then you wrote about it also in Granta. And the article was called On Meeting Michelle Obama. I'm interested to know who comes up with this title because they're very on the nose, but hey ho. It's actually entitled On Meeting Mrs. Obama. Yeah. Let's give the respect. Yes. But yeah. I beg your pardon, but On here. Meeting Mrs. Obama. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I was very careful to ask the question about migration because in independence it's about, it's set in the 60s where the young, um, you know, you had the first wave of Africans who had been sent to Britain to study with a view of returning home to become the new elite and sort of take over the transition of power. And then we have you, a person who's lived in, of Nigerian descent, lived in Nigeria, now going to America and occupying important spaces with important cultural behemoths. And to me, occupying, you know, you're occupying that space in a position of authority, in a position you're coming in with your wholeness into that space, and you're bringing us into the room with you as well. So do you want to talk about your journey and how that came to be so that we know what to replicate? <laughs> I don't know if I'm bringing any authority. I think when I come into these spaces, I'm bringing my curiosity. I'm bringing my reader self. Um, but I, I, I don't want to talk, talk about me. Let's talk about Toni Morrison and maybe Mrs. Obama. Um, that was such an amazing experience, and I co-interviewed her with another writer, Mario Kaiser, who invited me to interview her, Wonderful. interviewed her together. And, uh, you know, I think I'll just start by saying I was just blown away by her generosity, and generosity of spirit, and she's so funny, and she's a real actor, and it's, you know, suddenly I could just see where all her writing comes from. So we were in her home, we... Um, got to meet Nadine, who was cooking fish for her from Jamaica. <laughs> and then we were able to meet, we met, it was Easter Saturday. So um, her son dropped by. Um, so we got to meet her son. We got to meet someone in the neighborhood who dropped by and bringing her flowers. Because you know, she's a rock star everywhere. So you know, everything, everyone comes to see her. Um, as we were talking to her, her sister called. And then she had this really tiny high voice, are you okay? You know, and so you saw her like talking to her sister and then you saw her saying, you know, just bossing other people around and telling her son not to clutter stuff up. And, you know, just, so you really, we, we, it was an amazing experience on so many levels. Um, and we were supposed to be with her for an hour and we ended up staying two hours, and we actually ended up saying we should leave now <laughs> before you really get tired of us. Um, so that was just, yeah, it was amazing. If you want to read what she said, um, as you said, 
everything is online. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Mrs. Obama, uh, great inspiration as well. Her book, Becoming, you know, and I think um, the title of that book, We Are Always Becoming, we've never, we've never arrived. And just this whole business of how life is a continual journey, we continue to learn. Um, I've written another on meeting, <laughs> on meeting my neighbor, Mrs. Harris, um, who is 99 and a half, she tells me. And um, she really speaks to me and is an, uh, just such an inspiration to me in that she, you know, she makes Mariah in Like a Mule look like a baby. You know, she's continually wanting to learn, wanting to travel. Um, and yeah, and, and that, that really inspires me. Speaking of Toni Morrison, I asked you for a book that you would recommend to budding writers and to pair it with a songwriting album. And once again, being so wonderfully creative, you selected... I selected <laughs> Toni Morrison's Nobel Lecture, which happens to be, you can hear it and you can also read it. Um, so, yeah. So it's, it's, it's her Nobel Lecture. And actually, I mean, for, for people who are writers, the Nobel lectures are really interesting and, and often very, very good. Um, Kazuo Ishiguro wrote, um, his Nobel lecture was particularly interesting to me because he talks about music. You know, music is a great influence for him and his writing. Um, but I wanted to say, I mean, I can do this afterwards as well, which is to talk about why yeah. this. I'll play the excerpt yeah. okay. so that you get a feel of it. Okay. Unmolested language surges toward knowledge, not its destruction. But who doesn't know of literature banned because it is interrogative, discredited because it is critical, erased because alternate. And how many are outraged by the thought of a self-ravaged tongue? Word work is sublime, she thinks, because it's generative. It makes meaning that secures our difference, our human difference, the way in which we are like no other life. We die, that may be the meaning of life, but we do language. That may be the measure of our lives. That's an excerpt from Tony Morrison's. <laughs> Why that particular? <clears throat> um, well, so you, I think you asked, you know, what I would choose uh, to recommend to other writers. writers yeah. um, Tony Morrison is so brilliant. Her work can often feel quite difficult and dense. Um, so, and you, you know, you have to listen again or reread, reread to get. It's one of the most profound essays I've ever read um, on language and the responsibility that we have as writers. And so that's why I, I would recommend it. And um, it's such a brilliant essay in itself, so I'll just quickly set it up. She starts off by referring to a parable, a parable of an older woman, old wise woman, uh, that is visited by some young people, and they want to see how wise she is, and they say, we have a bird in our hand, Will you, can you tell us if it's dead or alive? And she doesn't answer, and they keep probing. And she looks at them and she says, I can't tell you if it's dead or alive, but I know you hold it in your hand. So she, what Toni Morrison is doing is she's, she's using um, the bird in the hand as language and the old woman as a practitioner of language, a writer. And she goes on to talk about the power of language, the power that we have with language and the responsibility we have. Um, there's one particular part which really speaks to me when she says, and I'll try and uh, remember it, um, she says, language can never live up to life once and for all, and nor should it. Language can never pin down 
slavery, genocide, or war, and nor should it yearn for the arrogance to do so. Its force and felicity is in its reach towards the ineffable. And I always, as I'm struggling with writing, ever since I read this piece, will remember, Sarah, its force, its felicity, is its reach towards the ineffable. And so I keep trying to do that, knowing that you know, I can never pin down necessarily things, but it's that reach, so I just like use the, the motion. Um, so that really, really speaks to me. And, um, you know, and I hope it encourages artists and writers. And I paired it with she's a bad mamajama because she's such a presence. And so she's like, she's, she's bad in every <laughs> wonderful sense. And I also chose this song because, I mean, don't listen to the lyrics too closely. I'm sure they're not that great. Um, but it's a joyful party, you know, and I think as an artist, you have to hold on to that joie de vivre as you're creating. And um, so this is like, you know, if I ever have a chance to interview uh, someone like Toni Morrison or to interview you one day in person, <laughs> that's the song that will play as you walk up on stage. And I'm gonna play it now. <laughs> to Jess, <laughs> to Gail, to Michelle, to Jean, <laughs> so many people in this audience for us. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of bad mama jamma, your novels have very strong women protagonists and women characters, and this book, Like a Mule, bringing ice cream to the sun, to the sun comes to mind. Dr. Mariah De Silva is forever immortalized in my mind because she, to me, is who I aspire, a literary represent, a fictional representation of who I aspire to be and how I want to live out, live out my, you know, my retired years. Just driving a Porsche, <laughs> <laughs> living in San Francisco. And it would and be a yellow one for you as well. Oh, you know this. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I read this book, I really appreciated it because it was for me the first time I had read an older woman who just existed. First of all, why was it important for Dr. Mariah to exist? And secondly, why is it important to have strong, I, I, I know strong is problematic, but independent women living life on their own terms? Well, you know, again, you know, shout out to Toni Morrison again. Something she said was, if there are stories you want to read and cannot find, write them. And so for me, that's really be, been behind all of my fiction. Um, you know, for independence, I wanted to read a love story set in this period um, with the characters that I had, and I wasn't finding that. Um, and with Like a Mule Bringing Ice Cream to the Sun, um, as I grow older, I appreciate all of those people who are older than me, more than I used to, um, and I and I just I wasn't finding stories about older women. I was finding stories about older men. You know, Philip Roth and Ian McEwan and so forth write these stories. Um, but I wasn't finding many stories about older women. Full stop. And certainly no stories about older black women. And yet in real life, I was re meeting these. Like every time I wanted to stop write, stop writing that book, I'd meet some other fabulous older woman. So. I asked you to recommend a book to readers who enjoy independence or they just want to explore the themes of the book further. You recommended four books, but we're going we're gonna to talk about one of them. So one of the books is Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro, whom you mentioned previously. The Old Rift by Namali Sarpel, you mentioned Namali Sarpel previously. Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Everest, which you reviewed recently and Dreams From My Father by Barack Obama. And Dreams From My Father, you paired it with Amen, This Little Light of Mine by 
Etta James, which I'm going to create an excerpt. Light of Mine with Dreams from My Father by Barack Obama. When did you last hear that song? <laughs> Charleston? Yeah, that's right, actually. And also the royal wedding here concluded that. Um, oh, how do I keep my answer short? Um, so my father, who's here, is a pastor. And um, so this is for my father. Um, also, dreams from my father. So thinking about my father a lot. My father, my whole family has been extremely supportive of my writing. So um, there was an element of choosing that for them. And, you know, dreams from my father, when I had, as I was finishing the novel, Barack Obama was running for president in the States, and here is someone who is the son of a white mother and a black father. Um, the same for me, and the same, in, you know, the couple is the same in independence. Um, and that was a moment of kind of great hope. Mm. Um, and I, you know, again, I said, when did you last hear that song? Because here again, we have Megan and, and Harry. A lot of people are very happy, and it was, you know, just a moment, right? Um, and yet we still have people who are um, not very happy. <laughs> so um, I guess this is all to say that this, you know, this book was set 60 years ago and it came out a decade or so ago, but the issues that are addressed in the book and what it speaks to um, are still, I feel, as pertinent and important mm -hmm. today as they were then and 60 years ago. And I should say, actually, one of the stories that inspired me to write this novel was the story of Saretse Kama and Ruth Kama uh, from Botswana. So, you know, I could have started by saying it was a story of a royal family um, who had to, who, who had someone coming into their family that was not part of their royal circle. Um, so, and this is not the British royal family I'm talking about, it's the, the Botswanan royal family. Um, and so after I'd written the book, I'm sure he must have read the book, whoever made the film, uh, what was it? Uh, Oyelowo was in it. The, so yeah, so that was a very inspirational story for me, a real life story that was in the back of my mind as I was writing this. And then, you know, the film came out. And, um, you know, I just little rumors that possibly uh, Meghan and Harry may go to Botswana. It's a kind of a funny, weird thing. Like it's, wow. Um, we're now going to open the floor. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wonderful insights into writing and to hear the music behind it. I mean, it's just so inspiring. I had a question about your writing routine. Could you share it with us? Like, how do you discipline yourself and what's your typical day? Good question. And I wish I were a more disciplined writer. Um, I have a child who's just gone to college, so I've got really no excuse to be distracted. I, I'm an, in America called an empty nester. Um, I, I basically just try and sit for several hours, and what you know, whether I, I'm, I'm not someone that gives myself, you know, so I, I know some people say I have to write X number of pages. For me, I don't give myself that, but I do have to sit and be focused and think about the writing. Um, but I think. As I've grown older, both age-wise, but also um, in terms of having some experience of writing, one of the things that has changed with me around writing is I don't, if I'm really stuck with something, I don't continue to bang my head against the wall and just think, oh, this, this isn't working. I will go for a walk or I will read. Um, I really believe that the writing, it happens on the page, but half of the battle, to use, maybe I shouldn't say battle, but half of the challenge is, um, uh, you know, just, just 
thinking through things and, and sometimes just being open to, and this is also why I talk about music and I talk about film. I, I find that breakthroughs come sometimes when I'm inspired by a different art form and that sort of serendipitous um, connecting of one thing or another. So yeah, so all this is to say, I'm, I, on the one hand, I wish I were more disciplined, but on the other hand, I know that sometimes when I just let myself do things that are not strictly writing on the page, that's when something will break through for me. Um, so I'm going to ask a question about the book without trying to give too many spoilers. Um, I remember reading Americana and loving the ending, and then my aunt read it and said she did not like the ending. So in the writing of Miriam, as someone who is Nigerian and homebound, I guess similar to how Chimamanda wrote the wife in Americana, like, why do you think you wrote the character that way, and is that a fair representation of the, home, the homegrown woman? Well, I think um, I, I read Chimamanda's first two novels. I haven't read Amer Americana to, in in its entirety, so I can't speak to that particular novel. But I, I think one thing I would say is um, a writer writes a story, and one of the issues with not having lots and lots of writers writing from Nigeria, about Nigeria, within Nigeria, or whichever place you want to choose um, within Africa, is that often people will look at a novel and the, you know, the expectation is somehow you speak to everything. You know, so you can be an American writer and you can write the craziest, weirdest thing and people are not going to say, oh, that's representative of America because there are thousands and thousands. So this is why I come back to Cassava Republic Press, which is doing amazing work, bringing so many voices, so many different sorts of stories. Um, you know, and so you don't have to like my novel, or one doesn't have to like my novel. There's, there's lots, there's lots more to choose from now, thank goodness. But I think, I think we've got to be careful, both as readers and writers, to try and um, not put everything on one book. So again, you know, people have asked me what you know if you had known that your book was going to be assigned to for so many students to read, you know, how how would you have written the book? And my answer is, I. I don't think I could have written the book because I would have been like that, like che checklist. Have I got X Muslims, X number of Christians? Have I got this many Yoruba, this many Igbo, this many Hausa? Have I got, have I, you know, all of this sort of like, have I represented everything? Um, that, that's not a novel. Um, it becomes something different. So, yeah, so I think people should feel free to, to obviously critique work definitely critique work on its merits, not to look to one novel to write every story. Any more question? Okay, so I'll ask the last question then. Um. <laughs> she did that really quickly. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I think for me, I want, I'm interested about the reader. I like that you mentioned, because I'm interested about the reader. What do you want the reader to take away from reading Independence? You know, the best response that I got from students in Nigeria and Zimbabwe was, I want to write a better book than you. <laughs> if it inspires you, go for it. Wow. So, yeah, okay, do it. And I believe Bibi Bakari Yusuf, um, the founder of Kasaba Republic Press, has something to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming today and um, do buy the book and spread the word. Not only independence, but also like a meal, bring an ice cream to the sun. You won't regret it. As well as Margaret Busby's Daughters of Africa. I'm extremely grateful to Sarah Ladipo Maninka and Kasaba Republic Press for giving me the opportunity to interview the inspiration behind Books and Rhymes, the podcast. I cannot overestimate the beauty of independence. Do yourself a favor and get a copy of the novel. Trust me, you'll be tempted to send an email to booksandrhymes at gmail.com thanking me for the recommendation. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes on iTunes and your favorite podcast listening platforms. Tell your friends about the podcast and continue the conversation by following at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Have a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic week. Until next time. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.